0: What's up everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube or online at anyhourservices.com. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell and Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404.
1: Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. This is part two of our uh, interview with Matt Bodner.
0: As soon as you blame somebody else, as soon as you make an excuse for why you didn't get what you want to get or achieve what you want to achieve you've denied yourself the ability to learn from that situation
1: this is another episode of our innovation and leadership series where we interview pro athletes world-class musicians ceos hollywood filmmakers and a wide variety of other high achievers before we get rolling i want to invite you to get involved with child rescue the charity our founder started to learn more about them just come to our website icollective.co and check on the child rescue tab on our menu Also, I want to talk to you about one of our show's sponsors. I met these guys back on episode six. CEO Zach Smith was telling me all about starting a skateboard company and how much he hated doing the bookkeeping uh, for a skateboard shop and how he really uh, got led to start this business, Bookly, that's a hybrid combining bookkeeping software and human services. And I'll tell you why I let him become a sponsor. It's because I use their service now. I don't love paying 50 bucks an hour for bookkeepers to do stuff that I know software could do way, way cheaper. But uh, I don't love bookkeeping at all. So I want a real live human who knows what they're talking about to help me with the stuff I don't understand. Uh, probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me, though. The thing that put me over the top was that they could do my taxes and payroll also. Um, so totally suggest checking them out. Go to their website, bookly.co, and check out their flat rates. I've been super happy with them. So now on to today's episode, uh, Matt has an amazing podcast called science of success, um, that, uh, you should definitely get on iTunes and go subscribe to. He's a partner in a, uh, investment fund that, uh, is very focused in the restaurant space, especially fast casual, um, check out episode one and, and hear more about the size of their portfolio and their $300 million commercial real estate portfolio. But when we left off on part one, Matt, um, we were talking about the answer. You had three principles to a question I asked. Can you give us just the briefest uh, catch up on on part one there and then go on to two and three?
0: Definitely. So part one, obviously, we went deep on decision making. Your answer was, what is what are the practical steps you can take in your day-to-day life to improve your ability to make decisions? Answer one was reading and reading specifically stuff that is kind of timeless and doesn't change over time so that the knowledge can be retained and similar to compound interest can kind of have an increasingly productive impact on your thinking for the rest of your life. Um, now, the second answer is using tools like a checklist. And this is something that a lot of people uh, in the investing world talk a lot about, focus on a lot, and something that if you look at another discipline where uh, it pays to master a bunch of different mental models where it, and there's an extremely tight uh, relationship between making the right decision and life and death, it's piloting, right? In piloting, there's almost no margin for error in the sense that if you handle a situation the wrong way at the wrong time, the plane's going down. And one of the core components of aviation are, is checklists and using checklists. Uh, and there's a there's a great book called The Checklist Manifesto by Atul <laughs> Gawande. So good, uh, yeah. And, and I mean, there's a there's kind of a I'm paraphrasing a little bit from the book, but it's basically you know he was he popularized like an extremely simple checklist that helped save thousands and thousands of lives that was basically like wash your hands was essentially, you know, it was like a four step thing, but like the core thing was like, wash your hands and wash the instrument that you're about to use on somebody. The, the but there's a joke from that. That's like, why do, you know, why do p- pilots use checklists and doctors don't? It's because pilot goes down with the plane. Right. Um, and so checklists are a super useful tool in terms of improving your decision making. And if, you know, the beauty of a checklist is that, while you're kind of trying to understand all these different mental models, while you're trying to slowly kind of internalize and and build them into your mind, you can just keep a checklist of them and go through if you're making, you know, you don't have to use the checklist every time you decide where to order pizza, but you can use it if you're making a big decision, you know, in your life, if you're thinking about an investment that you're going to make, if you're thinking about changing jobs, if you're thinking about hiring somebody, if you're thinking about you know, how to get more customers, whatever the major decisions that you're making. If you keep a checklist of just kind of some of the major mental models that govern whatever it might be, you can scroll through that checklist and just say, OK, you know, for example, the, the, the Charlie Munger YouTube video, we talked about the 27 standard causes of human misjudgment. I have a literally a checklist in my Evernote. That's the 27 standard causes of human misjudgment. And, you know, I can just go through that checklist if I'm making a decision and being like, okay, am I suffering from denial? You know, yes or no. Or like, think about it for a second. Am I suffering from, uh, you know, bias from envy, jealousy? Like all these different things. You can just go line by line and spend a few minutes thinking about that. Similarly, uh, and there's another book that I I think is kind of like the PhD level book in decision making, which is a book called Seeking Wisdom um, that is, a, is all about kind of builds on Charlie Munger's thinking and goes who's, way, who's way, way It's by Peter Bevlin. Um, it's called Seeking Wisdom from Darwin to Munger. And I would say, like, we've talked about a couple other books on here. We talked about influence, we talked about predictably irrational. Um, and there's another book that is a really good primer on a lot of this stuff. It's a book called Poor Charlie's Almanac, which is about uh, Charlie Munger. It's kind of a, it starts out with sort of a brief biography of him. Then it really explains what he thinks about the world, and the last like two hundred pages are a bunch of different speeches that he 's given it 's an incredible book, and I would say if you read those three books that 's kind of like uh, the intro level course to all this stuff and I would say don 't even pick up or think about reading seeking wisdom until you 've read those three because it will be like reading a book in advanced Mandarin Chinese if you haven 't taken like Chinese 101. Um, but once you've read those and you start to have kind of the language and the vocabulary, uh, of, of this way of thinking about the world, seeking wisdom is uh, no joke, the most information dense book that I've ever read in my entire life. And it's, uh, it's probably 250 pages, maybe a little more than that. And I have every single page is like covered in notes. Um, and it's essentially a massive list of mental models. So it's it starts out it goes through and goes in detail the first probably seventy or eighty pages of the book it goes through the all of the mental models in psychology because psychology is such an important component of this way of thinking and then the next two thirds of the book are what they call the physics and mathematics of misjudgment. And they go into how to think about you know everything from systems thinking to scales and limits to understanding statistics to how to think about probability, how to think about uh, – how to look at and understand research evidence. Like all uh, – just incredible, incredible detail. And I've, I've read and reread this book a number of times and, and I feel like I've barely scratched the surface in terms of getting maximum value out of it. Um, okay. But – uh-
1: I just bought it on Amazon while you were talking about it.
0: <laughs> that's really funny. I mean, highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. But seriously, I'm not joking. Read Poor Charlie's Almanac first because it won't. It, like, no,
1: I've got I, I got Poor Charlie's. It's like you know, I could also use it to take out an intruder in my home because the thing is enormous. Yeah, right? it's a massive book. So it is. i started on Poor Charlie's, uh, but uh, this one is now in the mail. Okay, that's a great recommendation. Perfect. Okay, so um, once you've read those, well. I'll, I'll let you just keep going.
0: Yeah. So, well, we got to get to the third thing. So that's checklist. Basically the only thing, the last thing I'll say about checklists with seeking wisdom, I basically, I took the, all the psychology stuff. I made a psychology checklist and then I took all of the other mental models and made a checklist of just what I call the, the mathematics and physics of misjudgment checklist, not the greatest name, but it's basically just a list of like, I, you know, I'm looking at it now. I don't know how many mental models it is, but it's probably 35 or 40, um, that I can just think about. And, and you know, again, it doesn't apply to every particular situation, but like, especially, when, you know, I'm an investor primarily, so when I'm thinking about investing stuff or I'm thinking about a possible company we're investing in or a market opportunity, it's super helpful to to go through some of these checklists and be like, you know, am I, am I thinking about breakpoints and critical thresholds? Am I thinking about constraints and the weakest link in the system? Am I thinking about, you know, changes in size and, and form and function? Like all this stuff, and like those phrases might not mean anything, but like there's a whole – basically a whole chapter on each of those concepts in this book, right? And you can like get deep on really understanding all that stuff. Um,
1: so like that one constraints Is that like are you up Goldrup like the goal? Is that kind of that line?
0: It's basically the idea that a system's performance is constrained by its weakest link, mm-hmm. right? So like if you're investing – we'll give a contextual example. Like if you're investing in a company – And you think that you have this like growth, you know, this growth trajectory of like, okay, we're going to take them and I'll just give you a restaurant example. Like we're going to take them from two units to 10 units in the next, you know, 18 months. Like, what are the constraints that are going to stop me from doing that? Like, is it going to be people? Is it going to be capital? Is it going to be locations? Uh, you know, is it going to be getting supplies for their unique dish that's like really hard to find the ingredients for? Like, whatever it might be, you got to think about like, what are the constraints in the system that are going to stop you from either yeah, scaling yeah. achieving what you want?
1: No, I love it. Uh, I, the book I was talking about along that same lines, <laughs> the example that stuck with me is the guy is a scoutmaster, and there's a there's a chubby kid who's slowing the whole line down. And so they end up putting him at the front of the line and having other boys carry his backpack because nobody can get anywhere if that kid's slowing everyone down. And so they're like, focus on that first, because like, it's the constraint that holds the whole route back. And like, I think it's funny because your application is like this huge business one. And mine is like, how do I get my family to church on time? (laughs) I I started having to get my kids put their church shoes by the front door before we get anything else ready for church. Because that was the thing that was always making us late at the end. So that's great. That's my small version of your, <laughs> big you know, example. that's,
0: that's a perfect example though. Like that going back all the way back to the idea of like the tree of knowledge, right? Like mm-hmm. that information is, is deeply contextualized in your life. It's not just something you memorized, right? It's something that you know, there's like a story that layers it into a richer understanding of the world so that you, you have a great example and a deep understanding of how constraints work and you can take that same tool right? That same screwdriver of understanding constraints and apply that to other contexts of your life. Now that you have, have a really kind of rich understanding of how it functions.
1: Awesome. So we've got reading, we've got checklists.
0: All right. Number three. So number three is a, uh, is a recommendation from Michael Malbison, who I talked about a little bit earlier, or I guess on the first episode. Um, he's got a really cool book called think twice. That's basically a book about making better decisions. And one of the biggest recommendations in that book is to keep a decision journal, and this is you know again it doesn't have to be for every single little decision in your life but for the major decisions you're making keep a journal where you essentially keep track of the, you know kind of a number of different things about that decision you kind of write your thinking down right and you and you freeze it in time so you can think about okay what was i thinking about like I think the the major components of a decision journal are write down what you've decided, write down how you came to that decision, write down what you expect to happen, write down or kind of just note how you feel physically and and mentally. And then from there, you kind of come back to that decision. Like when you make that decision, right, you just stow that away. But then you come back to that six months later, a year later, whatever it might be, and evaluate how did that actually pan out, right? And, And if you want to really get deep on it, one of the things he recommends is is if you're looking at a couple different outcomes, assign actual probabilities to those outcomes, right? Like I think there's a 10% chance that this this deal is going to blow up. I think there's an 80% chance it's going to be a base hit. And I think there's a 10% chance it's going to be a massive success or whatever it is, and you kind of really write all of your thinking down. Because one of the major biases, right, we, we all can fall prey to, uh, and I'm forgetting the actual sort of name of it, but essentially, the idea that like, you can you always are, are telling yourself that you were it's a hindsight bias, right? Like, in, in hindsight, you're always right. And you always made the right decision. But in, in the moment, oftentimes, that's not actually true. And there's a, an, a kind of an evolutionary reason that hindsight bias is so powerful. It makes us feel better about ourselves and it makes us feel better about the decisions we make. But what happens is if you have a decision journal, you prevent yourself from falling prey to hindsight bias, right? Because everybody's had an experience where like something, something happens and then they think to themselves after it's happened, they're like, I knew that wasn't going to work out. Like they're such an idiot for doing that. When in reality, like at the time, did you really know that it wasn't going to work out or not? In the decision journal, you're 100% honest with yourself about whether, you know, what you actually thought at that moment. And you can go back and just have a super objective analysis of your own thinking and totally bias free in terms of looking back and being like, wow, I was dead on about this and I was completely wrong about the following like two or three things. And it's an iterative process. So you can go back and look at, you know, again, I'll give you I'm an investor, so kind of an investing example, I can look at the last 10 investments that I've made and say, OK, like there's a continual pattern of me underestimating the risk of failure in, in you know, six out of these 10 cases or whatever. And that's just a made up example. But, uh, you know, you can you can start to see patterns and flaws in your own thinking. And that's circling all the way back to the idea of deliberate practice. How do we get feedback? That's one of the closest ways that you can get feedback about your own thinking is by freezing it in time and then coming back and picking it apart six months, nine months later, whatever it is, once the facts are actually in.
1: Uh, So I'm in love with that idea. And I'm stoked that that one has an audio book. I just put it in my card on Audible. But, um, you know, what I love about that is the research I have read, which in this subject, I haven't read nearly how much you've read. But what I have read talks about how good humans are making short-term decisions and how historically we're kind of terrible at making longer-term decisions. And this seems like such a useful tool for having a feedback loop on our longer-term decisions.
0: Exactly. And I mean, you also, you have to, you know, you have to take into account, like, just because the result necessarily didn't comply with what you, you know, thought might happen, you still could have made a great decision, right? Right which again goes back to the whole idea of the variance between action and outcome in most Yeah, but fields. maybe
1: Hurricane uh, Sandy happened in the meantime, right? Yeah,
0: exactly, right? So that's that's the whole thing, but it does give you incredible clarity into your thinking and kind of gives you to a large degree the ability to get feedback on your thinking process itself. So, um
1: you and I both share a real love for for reading. I'm I'm uh, I call it reading, but it's all audiobooks, but um Tell me this. When you think about how valuable this has been to you and you're trying to help other people catch the vision and and um, really duplicate some of the breakthroughs you've made, um, but recognizing not everybody has the aptitude or the inclination to read 500 books, um, do you have any thoughts about how to help people um, – or Or just like even though you know wrapping myelin around the neurons in our brains takes repetition, you know meaningful repetitions are going to make it happen faster. Do you have any thoughts for people who are not a hardcore book nerd like us but still want to get into this stuff deeper, like thoughts that you have about how to help them
0: in terms of uh, book recommendations or just no, like more just public? in
1: general, like you know you and I I think we we read a ton and we're we're thinking a lot about these subjects. Um, do you have any thoughts about people who aren't necessarily readers but who want to gain the skill set or you think no man you just got to read?
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't think you, you know, you quote just have to read. Like you said you listen to audiobooks on Audible. I do think, I mean, there to some degree is kind of a, a Pareto principle or 80/20, mm-hmm. you know, you can get some of the juice from like the main ideas um, if you just focus on kind of the big, most impactful ones. And I think that just checking out that, that speech by Charlie Munger, if you want to spend, you know, an hour and listen to that or watch that, whatever it might be, that's a great starting point. Watch that once
1: a month for a year or something,
0: huh? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, or even just watch it once if you want. But I, I think it's something that there's no, there's no, at least in my opinion, there's no kind of shortcut. Like you, you have to put in the work one way or another, whether it's, podcasts whether it's audiobooks whether it's youtube videos uh i think and and this is just sort of my perspective or my experience i think to some degree or another you kind of you have to fill your brain with positive and useful and relevant information you know if you want to watch tv for you know 6 hours and then read for or, and then watch one youtube video and you think in a year you're going to be like a master decision maker you know, I've got, I've got mm-hmm. some bad news for you.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, another question then along these lines is for me, uh, I'm fascinated with mental models. Um, I've studied some different ones, but there's these times in my life where, um, I can tell like this, like maybe I'm emotional, maybe something's going on. And I'm thinking like, I know what I, right now, what I should do <laughs> mentally, but I really don't feel like doing it. Do you have any kind of like personal emergency break that you pull at times like that? Or what do you, what do you do to over like conquer yourself in times that maybe you're in a situation anything like that?
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's very challenging. I think that there's 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 sort of two different answers. One would be I think broadly meditation is a very useful tool to kind of cultivate um, an awareness of your thoughts and and the ability to kind of control and shape your thinking. So I think that's a really useful tool. And we've done a couple of podcast episodes and science of success where we talk about it, um, but you know, more broadly, I think that the simplest way to sort of take action in the face of not wanting to take action, uh, which maybe that's not exactly what you're talking about, or maybe that's only a piece of what you're talking about. Um, but it's funny. It's like, it's kind of the idea that start with like a really, really small win, right? Like if you're feeling unmotivated, just clean one thing on your desk or get like, just find the littlest thing you can do. And that starts to snowball or similarly, one of the things that works really well for me is even if I don't feel like, you know, super productive, I want to really get stuff done. If I just force myself to do one or two things to kind of start being productive, you know, I'll almost like black out and wake up like three hours later and be like, wow, I can't believe I just did all that stuff. Like, it, it, like the motivation doesn't always come first. Like sometimes action creates motivation. So even if you don't feel motivated, just take mm. action. And, and if you take action for like 15 minutes, like just set a timer. And be like, and I think I don't, I don't have any of the research behind this, but I think there's some research behind this idea is like just set a timer for like 15 minutes, right? It's just kind of kind of the, the idea behind the Pomodoro technique or whatever. Set a timer for like 15 minutes be like, I'm, I'm going to work on this thing for 15 minutes and then I'm done. I'm going to go play video games or whatever. Right. And then what, what happens is like the 15 minutes will go up and like 80% of the time you'll be like, oh, but I just need like five more minutes to finish this. And you'll like turn the timer off and like an hour and a half will go by and you'll be like, wow, I just did all this stuff. What
1: what was the name of that technique?
0: Pomodoro. It's just a productivity system. It's based around a little timer called a Pomodoro timer.
1: Huh. Okay. so something totally separate that reinforces what you just said. Um, John Wooden, you know, the most winning basketball coach in the history of college sports or whatever. Right. He he had this list of seven things in his wallet that he did every day. And it wasn't like, you know, work out for an hour. It was like, do one push-up. Read one verse from the Bible. You know, like, it was not these big, grandiose things. But his, his version of kind of what you're saying was like, that things in motion tend to stay in motion and things that are stagnant tend to stay stagnant. Um, yep. I, I mean, yeah. I love the book, small wins. So I, anyways, as soon as you said that, I was like, Oh, that's a genius. <laughs> that's a genius. Um, answer.
0: I mean, what one up is a great example, right? Like it's, it's the same idea as like, if you want to do cardio, like just say like, I'm going to do like five minutes, right? It's like a- if, after you do five minutes, are you really going to get up and leave? Like, you know, you're already there. You're already done. You're like, I can do another five minutes. And then you're like, I can do another five or 10 minutes. And then, you know, like you know, half an hour, 45 minutes go by, and you're like, all right, that was great. But if you set this like really low threshold, then you crush it, and then you just already have that momentum to keep going, right? It's like, no, if you do, nobody's going to do one push up. Like if you do one, you'd be like, I can do five or 10. Like it's not that hard.
1: Well, and the point too is, if you can start, like, because if you really do let yourself off the hook sometime where you don't do a half hour cardio, you do 10 minutes or whatever, right? But you hit your goal and you've got that small win, and now you have a now you have a history like you do a week of five minutes or a week of fifteen minutes, and you've got like you're starting back to your previous point about self identifying you know you've got the badge now you've got the sticker in the yep. window right now you're the kind of person that works out every morning, even if it's five minutes yeah exactly, right? and then you've got that motion to grow on, you've got the habit you've got anyway. Um, totally true. Well, listen, we've been going totally on my questions. What what's something that we haven't talked about that that you'd want to share with people, just in general?
0: Mm, that's a good
1: question. Anything? Why? why um, don't
0: we- you know? One thing that that we haven't talked about at all that's kind of interrelated to this. I don't that I think was, is just something that it was super impactful for me generally. Probably one of the most impactful books on shaping my entire life. Have you ever read the book Mindset by Carol Dweck? Yeah,
1: love it. I'm yeah, a parent I, too, so I felt like <laughs> I felt like oh crap, I'm parenting wrong there. Oh, I'm parenting wrong there. Oh, I'm parenting wrong there. Yeah, yeah huge fan.
0: Yeah, it's an incredible book. Uh, for anybody listening, cannot recommend reading that enough. And and there's like a really simple concept from that book. Um, and this also kind of I mean this this touches on a lot of the stuff we've talked about today about denial and about obstacles the way and some of this other stuff, but there's a really simple concept, which is basically the idea that if you deny that you've made a mistake, it's impossible for you to learn from that mistake. And that's something that I think if people, like if, if you're listening to this, if you can just really honor and embrace just that idea, I think your life can radically transform. And, and there's so many quote unquote ways that, that we make mistakes or that we create blame or excuses for our lack of performance, that if say that doesn't matter, like I could have achieved this despite that happening, that you you can advance and achieve so much more than you think is possible. And there's really, really good, I mean, in the book, they also talk about kind of the idea of the mindset of a champion. And the mindset of a champion is the notion that A champion doesn't win necessarily. Everything goes right. People who win the fact, you know, you kind of just give this in a sports context, but despite the fact that, like, you know, the wind was blowing in the wrong direction, the sun was in their eyes, and the ref made a terrible call, and all this stuff. If, If you have mental toughness and you have the mindset of a champion, all of those excuses for why things didn't go well. Are irrelevant and you only focus on taking responsibility for everything and really, really owning it and saying, you know, what? doesn't matter that the ref made that call. doesn't matter if the sun was in my eyes. doesn't matter if they spotted the ball in the wrong place. Uh, none of that matters. All that matters is how can I win despite all that stuff happening? How can, what can I do? How can I take responsibility for my own behavior? And how can I really, really acknowledge everything that I've done wrong? Because if, and even if all that stuff happens, I guarantee you, you could have done more stuff. You could have played better. You could have you know, trained more. You could have done whatever. There's always something more you could do if you just take responsibility and don't externalize it with a blame or an excuse or whatever it is. Because as soon as you blame somebody else, as soon as you make an excuse for why you didn't get what you want to get or achieve what you want to achieve, you've denied yourself the ability to learn from that situation. You've denied yourself the the ability to say, hey, you know what? despite X, Y, and Z setbacks, I still could have been training harder. I still could have read another book. I still could have done whatever. And so, you know, it's not necessarily exactly what we've been talking about today, but that's something that I'm super passionate about. And like the whole book mindset really transformed how I feel about mistakes and the idea of not being in denial about mistakes instead of just kind of accepting and acknowledging them as part of the learning process. I
1: love it. Um, Well, we're wrapping, we're getting close to wrapping up here. You know, a standard question we like to ask everybody is our charity, Child Rescue. We've got prevention campaigns, you know, by high school kids, for high school kids. We've got aftercare where we help, like we're helping build an aftercare orphanage in Cusco, Peru. We have law enforcement assistance. We help pay for undercover rescue missions or pay for police training, stuff like that. If you were us trying to attract more people, you know, to care about protecting kids, what, what kind of advice would you have for us?
0: I would say read influence and app- and see how you could apply all those <laughs> principles. Stack them in your favor, or not even just influence. Like watch the Charlie Munger video, read read poor Charlie's almanac, and figure out how you can create, as he would call it, a lollapalooza effect. In terms of like how can you not just deploy one or two of these biases in your favor, but how can you deploy like eight of them at once so that you can create like these crazy outsized results. Um, and he's got a really, really good speech, which is in the back of Poor Charlie's Almanac. But you can also just find it for free online. It's called Practical Thought About Practical Thought, kind of a weird title. But he basically poses the question of if you were to start in, and I forget what year, is like 1874, and you had two million dollars, how would you recreate Coca-Cola? And he basically goes through. In, in, applies a bunch of different mental models. And this can give you a really clear sense of how he does it, but he basically layers in a bunch of mental models and says like, here's what I would do if I had to recreate the success that Coca-Cola has achieved using a bunch of different mental models from a bunch of disciplines everything from psychology to economics and how I would, you know, from A to Z recreate that phenomenon. And he has a really funny kind of quote in that in that piece where he talks about the fact that the reality is most experts today even given the fact that they know exactly what happened probably could not describe what like what the the uh, concurrence of factors was that led to coca-cola being such an incredibly successful business and it's because they don't have kind of a multidisciplinary worldly wisdom based approach to understanding reality
1: well um Good advice. Uh, last one here. Um, is there anybody that set a good example for you either early in life or early in your career for how to treat others that you kind of look up to? Uh,
0: I mean, in terms of kind of a book, quote unquote, role model, obviously Munger has been hugely impactful in my thinking in my life. Um, I would say, you know, maybe it's cliche or whatever. The other one I would say is my dad has been a huge impact on me. Um, he's an incredibly uh, driven and and kind and successful person and entrepreneur and it has been incredibly inspirational to kind of watch him and learn from him.
1: You know, um, actually like I I would say probably 75% of our guests name either their mom or their dad or both. Um, I think I'm going to have to like do something for like a, Mo- a mother's day or a father's day thing and just like put together all the quotes from all the guests who talk about mom or dad. Uh, I don't know for me, it, that really gets back to like families being the fabric of our society and like what an influence on the next generation you can have by being a yep. good parent, right. By yep. not just worrying about our own success, um, but, uh, going that extra mile with the kids instead of just being a good parent, being a great parent. Right. Absolutely. Um, well, listen, where's the best place for people to connect with you and, and subscribe to your podcast and all that.
0: So I put something together just for the listeners of this podcast. Uh, if you want to go to scienceofsuccess.co slash collective, uh, that's science of slash collective. Uh, I have an awesome PDF that's called four steps to making better decisions. You can get it totally free. Uh, all you have to do is go to that website and you can download it.
1: Awesome. Well, we appreciate you doing that. And uh, thanks again for making so much time for us today.
0: Well, thank you very much, Jess. It's been an honor to be on here and uh, I've really enjoyed our conversation.
1: Great. That was part two of our interview. If you missed part one, please go back an episode and download the episode before this one for the first half of the interview. As always, please check iCollective.co for show notes of things referenced during the interview and to learn more about our guest. And if you're interested, we'd love to have you learn more about the charity Child Rescue Go to the menu page on iCollective and click on Child Rescue. Thanks so much.